uh, we're praying for men, praying for men in our community, praying for men in our church in preparation for men's ministry starting up this fall. So um, every great movement of God, though, has started with fervent prayer. So we just want to invite you. We just do it for a few minutes, 630 to 7. Sometimes we don't even go that long. But um, God hears our prayers, and he answers, and he does powerful stuff when we pray. So men, here's your call. I know it's not a a super attractive call to, hey, come to a prayer meeting, okay? Um, That's when the fewest people show up. Unfortunately, it should actually be the opposite, though, guys. So show up. Love to pray with you guys um, for men. because we, we need it as men. So, All right, we're in Romans 12. We're walking through the book of Romans, if you want to turn there with me. And I'm, I'm pumped this morning. I'm really excited because I'm bringing to you a scripture in context that's usually taken a little out of context. Not in, not, usually not in a bad way, but it, you're going to see a much deeper, richer meaning in this context. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. Usually you see verses 1 through 2 or just verse 1 or just verse 2. But I'm excited to, to go through all eight of these verses because they're very much connected. And I think Paul intended um, to tell us something beyond just the messages of 1 and 2 um, in the scripture this morning. But here's the main idea in these eight verses. Okay, Following Jesus requires sacrificial living. Sacrificial living requires a death and a resurrection. A death and a resurrection. But first, even as I say those words, I think to myself, why would I want to live a sacrificial life? Like choosing pain, choosing hardship, not usually something I'm into. Even as followers of Jesus, who we understand our example of Jesus, literally sacrificially giving himself on the cross, it's still easy to go, why would we pursue more pain and hardship on a daily basis? But here's the good news. Here's the good news of Romans 12, 1 to 8, and the good news of sacrificial living. It requires not just a death, but a resurrection. It's a resurrection that, that, that fills us with peace beyond understanding. See, dying to ourselves actually produces living like never before. And we see this actually all through Scripture. And I, I want to show you one other place before we get into Romans 12. In Colossians 3, it says in verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ. So there's the resurrection talk. If you've been raised with Christ, if spiritually you have believed in him, you've been changed by him, you, you've been raised with him, you jump down to verse five, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Then he gives a list of things. Put to death a bunch of stuff. But then verse 12, put on then, like you put on clothing, as God chosen, God's chosen one, holy and beloved. And then he gives a list, compassion, kindness. So it's a death, but it's a resurrection. And then verse 15 let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. See, we, we die to things, and then we rise to things that actually produce the peace of Christ, ruling in our hearts more and more. So the more we experience death and resurrection in our walks with Jesus, the more the peace of Christ rules and reigns in our minds and in our hearts. So let's take a look at Romans 12, starting in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's look at verse 1 to begin with. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Sacrificial living begins and ends with the death and resurrection of Jesus. It says, by the mercies of God. This verse is saying any authentic follower of Jesus will live a life of sacrifice. And you read this verse and it says, I appeal to you therefore. What's the therefore therefore? Well, it says because of the mercies of God. And he's saying, hey, the mercy of God, the grace of God through Jesus Christ that I just talked to you about for 11 chapters Because of that, now do something with it. Now live a sacrificial life. See, any authentic follower of Jesus is motivated and moved by Jesus' sacrifice. See, we gaze at the cross and we think about his resurrection. And it, it must move us to die to our own desires and then move us to live for his desires. A death and a resurrection. Following Jesus begins and ends with a death and resurrection. That's what sacrifice is. But it's not a sacrifice so that we can walk around, even as Christians, and and, and look sacrificial and heroic, look at me. It's sacrifice as the only rational response to this love of God shown most profoundly through the sacrifice of his own son, Jesus. It's this mentality of, he gave it all for me, so I'm gonna give it all for him. C.S. Lewis said it this way, the single greatest thing about man is not their actions, but what they believe about God. For what they believe about God will determine their actions. See, what you believe about Jesus, if you were convinced that he died and rose again, it will move you to action. It will move you to die and to rise again spiritually over and over to ourselves. Our mission statement here at Stonebridge is to help the next generation know and obey Jesus. But the knowing has to precede and drive the obeying. This is why we saturate everything in the gospel, the good news of Jesus crucified and risen from the dead because the degree to which we are convinced and amazed by his sacrifice for us is the degree to which we will authentically live a sacrificial life. It all starts with Jesus. It all starts with him and our hearts being changed by him. Being must come before doing or your doing will be hollow. Your doing will be pointless and misguided. 
Next, sacrificial living requires a death and resurrection of our hearts. It starts with Jesus, but then it needs to come to our hearts. It says, I appeal to you, verse 1, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Present. Present means you, you willingly offer yourself. No, nobody's willing to offer themselves as a sacrifice until their hearts have been transformed. It doesn't work. It's like Paul is saying, hey, don't miss the fact that I took 11 chapters before I really called you to do anything. The first thing he asks us to do, though, is to present. Willingly offer ourselves, our whole selves. This presupposes that our hearts have been changed. I want to show you in some of the previous chapters that the focus on the heart, sacrificial living requires a, a death of our old hearts, our old selves. Romans 2, 5, it says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He's saying we, we had hearts that were not soft towards God. In fact, we, they were rebellious against God. Pretty strong language in Romans 1 and 2 saying that our hearts were just terrible and not anywhere close to focused on him or being repentant. And what we need is a softening of our hearts to God to save us from our sin and from ourselves. But then sacrificial living requires a resurrection of our hearts of ourselves. Romans 5.5, 5, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has, he has given to us. Romans 6.17, thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And then Romans 10.9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. See, our hearts come alive by believing in Christ's work, grace through faith. This is a resurrection of our hearts. Our core selves are, are being awakened. And in Romans 5.5, 5, I just read it, it's, it's being awakened to God's love that's being poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. It's being awakened to the Holy Spirit. It's not just the death of our old hearts, although that happens, it's a resurrection to a new heart that's recalibrated to Jesus. It's a heart awakened to true love, true joy, true peace, Jesus. And then after we believe, we keep trusting, we keep believing, we keep, as it says here, presenting ourselves to him moment by moment, day by day. This is the first requirement of living sacrificially, a soft, trusting heart towards God. You can try to do stuff all day long for people, but if your heart is not soft towards God and then other people, it's going to be hollow and empty. Next, sacrificial living requires the death and resurrection of the mind. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So first, there has to be a death 
in our mind, a death to being conformed, it says, to the world's thoughts. When you're conformed to something, it means you blindly accept it. It's, it's this mentality of go along to get along. Just blindly follow and accept. What we need to do in, in killing the world's thoughts and not being conformed, blindly accepting the world's thoughts, is we need to take each thought we hear in the news, in social media, from other people, and hold it up against God's word instead of just blindly accepting things. That's what this means. So I want to I share with you five deadly unbiblical thoughts that are blindly accepted in our world right now. I could actually give you probably 500, easy. I'll keep it to five general ones, and, and uh, I'm sure you can figure out some more from there. So number one, work hard enough and life will be great. You're just not working hard enough. Jesus says, In Matthew 5.45, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. There are believers and unbelievers alike who go through really, really hard things. There are believers and unbelievers alike who are really, really blessed. Just because you work hard does not necessarily mean that things are going to go great for you. Number two, if you don't agree with someone, you can't love them. Think about this. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus loved every single person he came in contact with, even the disciples, before he called them to himself. They did not agree with him right away. Every single person did not agree with Jesus in some way. And that happens even to today. When Jesus starts working on our hearts through the Holy Spirit, when he starts doing stuff, we're not in agreement with him, yet he loves us and woos us into relationship with him. Just because you disagree with someone does not mean you have to be disagreeable. Number three, freedom is doing whatever you want, whenever you want. Party, right? Whatever I want, whenever I want. No. Freedom is actually found in sacrifice. It's the opposite. 1 Peter 2, 16 and 17, live as people who are free. Then he describes freedom, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Freedom is found in sacrifice, not in doing whatever we want. Many of us have experienced that. Fourth one, unbiblical thought accepted by the world. Family first. What's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Family second is what the Bible says. I believe that putting family before God is actually one of the most prolific sins in American Christianity today. Hear me well. Love your family really well. But don't make them God. Don't make your children God. Don't make your spouse God. If you want to love your spouse and your children really well, put God first. Fifth, 
Be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. You can't even know yourself until you know who God is. We just went through Romans 8. Romans 8 is, is packed full of identity, but it's, it's identity statements of who we are in Christ. So this whole question of who am I, and, and we're asking this question all the time, who am I actually needs to be replaced as Christians with who am I in Christ? See, that's how we can be who God has made us to be. And that's the only way to be who God's made us to be. Who are we in Christ? All right, I could keep going and going and going, but there's just a sample for you. The, the thing is we need to put to death thoughts like this. Don't blindly just accept them. And they sneak up, they're very deceitful. They just kind of creep into our thinking. And we need to have a resurrected view. Our thinking needs resurrected to godly thinking, not just a death to worldly thinking. It needs to be a resurrection to a new mind that's calibrated to Christ's mind, a mind awakened to the freeing, absolute, beautiful truth found in God's word. Resurrected thinking, it says here in verse 2, means we have transformed thinking. Transformed, it's a new way of thinking that aligns with God and aligns with his word. This is the opposite of blind acceptance, by the way. It's not blind acceptance of an ever-changing popular opinion. No, it's thoughtful trust in God and his good, proven, unchanging word. Resurrected thinking also means renewal of the mind. That's what it says here. Renewal is a process. As we begin to understand God and his good ways in scripture and spend time talking to others who are spending time in his good word in scripture, our minds begin to think differently. We begin to learn and love his ways and his thoughts but it's a lifelong process because we still live in this world. We still live in a world with, with a pesky sin nature and a, and a pesky devil who's ever tempting us to believe worldly thoughts. But thankfully, we have as believers the Holy Spirit giving us strength to resist those thoughts. Resurrected thinking, it says in here, requires testing and discerning. Testing and discerning. We really can crack the world's deceitful codes every time. We can know God's good thoughts meant for our good by testing all of them up against the word of God. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We're so easily deceived by the world, I think, because we know the world's thoughts better than we know the word's thoughts. I'll say that again. We're so easily deceived by the world because we, we know the world's thoughts often way better than we know the word's thoughts. We need to test. We need to discern. We need to take our thoughts captive with God's word. You might be like, yeah, I know that. Where do I begin? It's hard to do. 
Let me give you a suggestion. Watch a movie or a show this week. Maybe get your family together and do this, but watch a movie or a show and just note as you go through the major messages and themes in that show. Then when it's done, see if Scripture agrees or disagrees with those themes and messages. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying to throw out all media that doesn't fully line up with Scripture. I'm just saying don't blindly consume and accept messages Be alert, be aware, be on the offensive in your head against ungodly messages that you're consuming. Don't blindly consume them. Know that you're consuming them and reject them. Let's take a look at our chart that you've you've seen up here while I'm talking. All of these build on each other sequentially. That's why I wanted you to see this passage in context. Sacrificial living is impossible without first focusing on Jesus' death and resurrection, the cross. Then sacrificial living is impossible without a death and resurrection of our own hearts daily. And then sacrificial living is impossible without a death and resurrection of our minds. If our minds are not being transformed and renewed, everything else gets out of whack. We start to love. We start to serve people in wrong ways when our thinking isn't aligned with his. Then next, sacrificial living requires a death and a resurrection of our view of self. Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. This is saying there needs to be a death to an inflated view of ourselves. The New Living Translation says, don't think you're better than you really are. Don't think you are better than you really are, which begs the question, how should I think of myself to begin with? What is my value? Well, the answer is found in the beginning of our Bibles. Genesis 1.26, we are all made in the image of God. We are have immense value because we represent God like no other creature on this planet. How does this bring death to an inflated view of self? Well, the death needs to be in thinking that only I am made in the image of God. It's not just me. It's not just you. It's everybody. Every man, woman, boy, child, everyone that you encounter is made in the image of God. I'm no greater than anyone else. That shrinks you down to size when you actually view each person like that. We need to remember that every single person is made in his image. Remembering this simple fact will start to deflate our view of self down to size. I'm no better than anyone else. When we really embrace the all part of the image of God, we cannot see ourselves as better than we actually are, which leads to the resurrected view of ourselves, which is resurrected to the real view. It says, look at ourselves with sober judgment. Think about it. When you're drunk, Reality becomes all distorted and you, you don't see things clearly, right? It's, just, it's, it's not actually reality that you're seeing, but when you're sober, you see things for what they are. It's clear. 
You have a real view of yourself, the way that God sees you. That's the real view of ourselves. How does God see me? What is a sober view of myself? The answer is found in the same thing in Genesis 1.26. We are all made in the image of God. Personalize it. I am made in the image of God. I have immense value because I represent God like nobody else. Think about that. You represent God like nobody else. Recently, I, I asked someone who was really down on themselves. They had just all sorts of negative talk. I mean, just they were just really down on themselves. And I asked them, do you like yourself? What I meant was, and what I went on to explain was, do you see how valuable you are as an image bearer of God himself? Now certainly, we are all selfish and sinful and, and, and undeserving, but yet, from the moment of conception, we're made into God's masterpiece. We're made in his image. See, we need to let the truth of the image of God put to death an inflated, arrogant view of ourselves and let the truth of the image of God resurrect a deflated, crummy view of ourselves. Most of us tend towards one, of the, one or the other. Which one are you? Do you see yourself as greater than you are in your mind? Or do you usually see yourself as less than you are in your mind? And sometimes we do both on the same day. But it comes back to this same verse, the same concept. We are all made in the image of God. I'm no better than anyone else, and yet I am made in the image of God. I am unique. We have a death and a resurrection of our view of self. Next, sacrificial living requires a death and resurrection of our view of others. Verses four and five. For as in one body... We have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. The death here means, needs to be a death to a me-focused view of others, particularly in the church family. He, that's who he's addressing here. I'm only a hand. I need feet to walk. That's the analogy he uses. When it comes to... This church gathering right here today when it comes to connection groups, to serving in the body of Christ, to interacting in relationship in the body of Christ, he's saying, it's not about you. It's not about me. I loved this guy, uh, this guy's reflections on his conversation with a friend because it's me so often. Um, this guy named M. Scott Peck, he said, I suddenly realized that for the entire 10-minute period from when I had first seen my acquaintance until that very moment, I had been totally self-preoccupied. For the two or three minutes before we met, all I was thinking about was the clever things I might say that would impress him. During our five minutes together, I was listening to what he had to say only so I might turn it into a clever rejoinder. I watched him only so that I might see what my what effect my remarks were having upon him. And for the two or three minutes after we separated, my sole thought was of those things I could have said that might have impressed him even more. I had not cared 
a wit for my friend. Isn't that us so often? We need to die to our me-focused approach to each other in relationship, in conversation. But then we need to be resurrected to a, to a we-focused view of others. We need to view others in our church family as absolutely vital to our individual growth and absolutely essential to our church family's development. Is that your view of others here this morning? Is that your view of other people when you go to a connection group or whenever you're with other believers? That these people are absolutely essential for me and my health and my growth and my walk with Jesus. If that's not your view, we need to have a a reorientation, a resurrection of our thinking. When we come to church family gatherings, is this your approach, this this we-focused approach? See, when you come here to church, we need to, be, we need to replace this idea, this thought of, what can I get out of this today? That's consumeristic. This isn't a movie. This is a family. We need to replace it with, how can I help them get something out of it, and her get something out of it, and him get something out of it? How can I help us get something out of this together? How can we make God look fantastic this morning and attractive? How can we worship him? Then how can I serve the person next to me? See that, if, if that was really our mindset every time we walked into this church, family life would be palpable here. Paul Tripp said, for, for a church to be a church, Every believer must accept his or her role in the life of other believers. Don't treat this like a show. It's not a show. It's a family. Next, sacrificial living requires a death and resurrection in our service to others. Verses 6 through 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Okay, listen well. This is calling us to a death to ignorance and a resurrection to awareness of our gifts. A death to ignorance and a resurrection to awareness of our gifts. Verse 6, it says, according to the grace given to us. See, most of us probably don't realize that we have specific graces, as it says here, or free gifts, that's what grace is, from God. We've each been given specific gifts to us by God. Here's how we die to ignorance of spiritual gifts or special gifts, whatever you want to call them, graces from God. Here's how you do it. Try a bunch of stuff. Start serving people. I know that sounds like oversimplistic. I know there's some helpful um, assessments or tests out there. Most of the time when I've filled them out, it's told me I have gifts that I know I don't have. Okay, if it works for you, fantastic, do it. But you know how I've figured out how God's really wired me to serve others in the body? By trying a bunch of stuff. 
But just do it, even if you don't do too well at it. Who cares? If you're coming, if you, look at our chart. If you're focused on the cross, if you have a heart that really is tuned in with Christ and a mind that's being transformed, and we don't have to be perfect, right? But if we're seeing ourselves and seeing others somewhat, even close to what the Bible says, and we start doing stuff, God's going to use it. God's going to show us what we're good at and not good at. Serve, teach, encourage, help others financially or with resources, lead, do acts of kindness. That's the list here in 6 through 8. If you're like, I don't know where to start, let's talk. Okay? Talk to me, talk to Josh, talk to Stacy. There's no shortage of things to be doing to be serving this church family. I'm absolutely convinced that people are unaware of their gifts or ignorant of their gifts mainly because they're not getting off the couch enough. We're not stepping up to serve and trying some stuff, putting ourselves on the line. We're too scared that we'll fail. Don't let fear have the final word. It also means that there needs to be a death to laziness and a resurrection to the use of our gifts. Verse 6, plain and clear, let us use them. Pretty straightforward. Don't need to hop into the Greek to explain that. Use them. Die to laziness in serving other people. All of us in Christ have been uniquely gifted to do ministry. Now let me unpack that statement. Ministry. Ministry is simply serving other people in Jesus' name. Serving other people on Jesus' behalf. It is not just the job of Matt or the paid staff at a church to do ministry. Do you realize that? That's what Paul's saying here. It's the calling of all of us to do ministry. Now let me end by sharing with you a story of how God used me and my gifts on a bike ride recently. And here's why I'm sharing this. I'm not sharing this to draw attention to me at all. I'm sharing it because it was such an ordinary circumstance. I was on a bike ride with no intent to be using spiritual gifts. I'm going to use spiritual gifts today. I'm gonna, no, I was just riding my bike. It's a nice day out. And I want to share it because it's such an ordinary circumstance, and that's where life is lived. You, you could easily find yourself in the same shoes today, this week. So I just want to show you, it's not just the job of a pastor to do ministry. So riding my bike, but before that, let me just, as a precursor, um, my heart, my mind, our chart here, my view of self, my view of others was focused on Christ that day. And that moment when I took off on that bike ride, I was, I was in a good spot. And that didn't just happen, that, that was there because of intentionality on my part to seek God in, in his word and in prayer and time with other believers. But my spiritual eyes were open enough to see these opportunities. And, and the first thing that happened, I knew, I knew coming up I was about to ride by someone's house that I knew could use some encouragement. Okay, I, I think that encouragement is one of my gifts, and so I'm like, man, 
that person could really use some encouragement. But yet, our relationship was kind of in an awkward spot, to be frank with you. So I really didn't want to. I wanted to go, okay, I'll just veer over this way. You know, I'm going in a straight line. I'll just take a little detour, go around. No one will know the difference. But the Holy Spirit was like, Matt, you should, if, he, if they're outside, you should talk to them. And guess what? Right as I rode past the house, they come outside. So there was a death that happened. The death of comfort of riding right past them. And I pulled into their driveway, and there was a resurrection, though, as well. I encouraged them. And it actually was really encouraging to me. And it actually took quite a bit of awkwardness out of our relationship. Next, same bike ride. Couldn't plan this if you tried. Um, I was about to ride past someone else's house. I got to get a new route, okay? Uh, now all of you are going to be like, oh no, Matt's riding by. Get in the house quick. Um, but no, earlier that day, um, God had made it apparent to me that I needed to share something with someone if I was given the chance. Another gift of mine that God has used on occasion is prophecy. And we hear that and we think, oh, telling the future. No, that's not actually what prophecy is. Prophecy, it could be that, but it's a spontaneous word from God. A spontaneous word from God. It needs to align with God's word. It needs to be done with gentleness. And it's always better if you have a good relationship with the person you're sharing the things, especially if it's, if it's pretty in your face. What I felt like God wanted me to share something with them. So I'm riding by their house, and guess what? They were there too. So I stopped and shared this, this thing that I needed to share with them along with some encouragement. And God has used that since to help them in their life. This required a death of me wanting to shut up and not be thought of as nosy and judgmental. Because that's what was going through my head. They're going to think, oh, this is just Matt being judgmental rather than the Holy Spirit. Thankfully, that didn't happen. It was a death to that. What, what are they going to think? And it was a resurrection to an empowerment by the Spirit to do it with gentleness. Because I could have just said, hey, God wants you to hear this. Drop the bomb. Leave. No, I encouraged them with some stuff as well. This sacrificial living benefited the body of Christ. And I went to bed that night with a massive peace of Christ enveloping my heart. And God gets all the praise and glory for that. The good news really is that sacrificial living requires not just a death. It's not just a killjoy. It's a resurrection that's filled with peace beyond understanding. And as we die to ourselves, it actually produces living like never before. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you've given us as believers gifts. You've given us things that, that we're good at. So I pray that you would give us the heart, the mindset, the view of ourselves and others that would just propel us to walk forward and do some stuff this week. Even if it, if it doesn't turn out great, help us just to try some stuff. 
Help us to, to not live in fear of what other people are going to think or say, but to live boldly in the power of the Spirit and watch you move, watch you work, God. I thank you, Lord, that you're right here with us and you're always right here with us. May your presence, may your power fill us and move us, God, to action. Help us to do ministry. Every single person in here, Lord, to do ministry, to serve others in your name this week, God. And as we do it, may your church be built up and encouraged and strengthened. And may a dying world go, wow, what is that? I need some of that. And may we be right there to share with them that this only can come through Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.